Hi everybody, Pete Sardis back for The Laura You Know. We're talking a little bit about what is happening this week in the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Again, if you like the video, give me a thumbs up. If you're liking the series, so please subscribe. Again, if you have questions or if there's a topic of interest that you have, please let me know in the comments below and I'll make sure that we put content out that you like. All right, let's talk about what happened last week and what we expect to happen next week. So here's the deal. Last week, as you remember, Elizabeth Holmes' defense team rested their case. After they rested their case, meaning they're not going to call any more witnesses, the prosecution asked the judge to consider some motions about striking a portion of Elizabeth Holmes' testimony. The basis of that motion is because she testified about emotional abuse and the effect that Sonny Balwani had on her psyche, but did not put on expert testimony to provide a scientific foundation for her uh, allegations. So what the government is going to do, and I expect it's happening as we speak, is they're going to file a motion to strike a portion of Elizabeth Holmes' testimony. What they're going to do is they're going to say that her testimony does not have the proper foundation because there is no scientific basis for that testimony. The judge uh, at this point made a decision to suspend the trial and to reconvene on December 16th. He said basically from last week until the 16th, what he intends to do is have the parties file whatever motions they want to file so they can be uh, dealt with. He wants the parties to provide individual jury instructions so that the parties can have something called a charge conference. And we'll talk about that in a second. And also to be prepared to give their closing statements starting on the 16th. So let's back up. Judge Davila's concept makes plenty of sense. This was a long trial. There's a lot of witnesses. There's a lot of evidence. So what he wants to do, first of all, is to make sure that any pleadings that need to be filed and any hearings that need to be heard before closing arguments are drafted, the research gets done, and there's time for the parties, meaning the defense lawyers and the prosecutors, to get in front of the judge and to argue the merits of their particular issues. That way, no matter what happens, the issues are resolved, so we're not wasting time in front of the jury uh, arguing this stuff. So that's the first thing he's going to do. The second thing he's going to do is he's asked the parties to draft their own versions of jury instructions so they can have a charge conference. So what is a charge conference? A charge conference is when the parties and the judge get together and present their various versions of the jury instructions that they want the judge to give to the jury. Now remember, the jury instructions are the foundation upon which the jury will render a verdict in the case. And what I mean by that is the jury instructions are the law as instructed to them by the judge. And it talks about the substantive law, meaning what is conspiracy? What are these elements necessary to prove that count? What are the necessary elements to prove a crime of wire fraud? There are also more general instructions about, you know, how to gauge a witness. For example, did they look reliable? Did they sound like they knew what they were talking about? Did they have, you know, an opportunity to know about the facts that they testify to? So all of those instructions are exist in a standard set. We call them the pattern jury instructions. And each judicial circuit has their own pattern jury instructions. But realizing that cases are fluid and they don't always fit into the same box, 
you have the right as a party to ask the jury to make either an, a modification to a pattern jury instruction or to give a jury instruction that you believe the law supports that may not necessarily be something that is always used. So that's what's going to happen. Defense is going to do theirs. Prosecution is going to do theirs. I'm sure that the two sides will agree to a certain series of those instructions. And then the judge will hash out the details between the prosecution and the defense for the remaining jury instructions. So when they come to trial on the 16th to start final arguments, the judge will already have the final set of jury instructions so he knows exactly what to instruct the jury. The third thing that I think is gonna happen is the judge is going to want to discuss with the lawyers on both sides what they anticipate their closing arguments are gonna look like. Now realizing each party has the right to make a summation of their case, tell the jury, here's what everybody testified to, here's what we think the evidence shows, this is why you're either guilty if you're the prosecution or not guilty if you're the defense. Before the parties actually go up and do their closing instructions for the jury. So one of the things the judge is going to do is he's probably gonna to wanna to sit down with the parties and work out the details about what their closing arguments are going to look like. For example, how much time is each side going to need? The prosecution has the right to uh, bifurcate their closing arguments and they'll do a first close and a second close. We call the second close a rebuttal. So they get to come up and say why they believe they have proven Elizabeth Holmes guilty. Then the Defense will come up and give their final arguments and argue to the jury why they believe the government has not proven Elizabeth Holmes is guilty. And then after the defense is done, the prosecution gets to come back up and do a, a rebuttal to whatever the defense had said. In your closing arguments, pretty much anything's fair game. As long as somebody testified to it, it is facts that uh, have been testified to, it is a document that has been uh, admitted into evidence, you pretty much can use all of that. And then you can argue what you believe the evidence shows. What you can do is you cannot argue things that are extraneous or outside the purview of what the jury heard during the trial. And I think one of the things that the judge is doing right now, especially since the prosecution is going to file this motion to strike some of Elizabeth Holmes' testimony, is he's probably gonna have a conversation with the lawyers and say, all right, this is fair game, this is not, I don't wanna hear any of this in anybody's closing arguments, I don't wanna hear any of that in anybody's closing arguments, I don't wanna see these documents, or I don't wanna you know, discuss this stuff, if in fact, the judge is gonna strike the evidence and the testimony because the defense did not put on an expert witness. So that's what's happening over the next, actually, few days and what's been happening last week. Are these things common? Yeah, for the most part. Now, do they take days and days normally? No, but because again, the case is so big and there's just so many details, I think the judge was wise uh, to give the parties an opportunity to brief their arguments, to be prepared, so they're not just kind of doing stuff off the top of their heads, because it's just too much to do that. In addition, I think the judge also bought himself a little bit of mental wellness because now what they've done is his staff has had an opportunity to go through and make sure that they've numbered all of the uh, exhibits that were identified, marked all the exhibits that were admitted into evidence, make sure they've got all the witnesses lined up and they have their notes on who said what ready to go. So as the closing arguments are being made, the judge kind of follows along based on the court's notes and makes sure that you know what is being testified to is in fact what was said, that nobody's misstating the evidence. So 
again, it's just an organization. I think it will look much better to the jury to show up and just hear closing arguments as opposed to stopping every few minutes, having sidebar conversations about, you know, big, uh, complex topics. So let's see now what's going to happen on the 16th. I would guess that closing arguments are going to take a little bit of time. It would not shock me for closing arguments to take a few hours on each side. Normally, from a practitioner's perspective, you know, you want to take the time that you need to reiterate what your case has been, to make sure that the jury knows every witness you put on there, what they testify to, why it's important to prove the elements that need to be proven to support a conviction. So I anticipate that the government's uh, closing arguments are going to be hours long. Now, the defense can go either way. Um, they're either going to attack the government's evidence and say, look, all this stuff doesn't prove anything or it does not meet the threshold of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to convict Elizabeth Holmes. Um, because the, the testimony from the defense was really very small, uh, just Elizabeth Holmes and a couple of ancillary witnesses before her, I don't anticipate that the defense closing argument is going to be as lengthy but I do expect that the government is going to do a rebuttal after the fact and, and probably challenge some of the things that the defense says. Do I think it's going to take days and days to do this? Probably not. Do I expect that it's going to take the entirety of the 16th? Yeah, probably. So we'll see. You guys tell me what you think is going to happen. Other than that, what will happen is this. The judge is going to give some jury instructions. He will then let the lawyers do their final arguments. Once the final arguments are done, the judge will read the remainder of the jury instructions. He will provide a copy of the jury instructions and the agreed upon verdict form to the jury. They will then go back, select a foreperson, meaning the person that will speak on behalf of the jury, and they will begin their deliberations. Now, I'm not sure what the judge is going to do regarding alternates. Normally what happens is the jury that is going to be responsible for rendering the verdict is the only, are the only people that actually deliberate. In other words, there are 12 people that are going to go back and actually render a verdict. There are alternates. The alternates would not be taken back to the jury room for deliberations. They would basically be sent home. But I don't know how long deliberations are going to take and you never know what's going to happen. So Judge Davila may in fact keep some of those alternate jurors in a, kind of on standby. So in the off event that the jury loses somebody in the middle of the deliberations, the judge can send in uh, an alternate so they can continue their work, realizing if the jurors do lose somebody during deliberations, uh, they might have to start the deliberation process all over again. But at least ju the judge will know that all of the jurors, to include the alternates, heard all the evidence, received the jury instructions, and are able and capable of rendering a verdict. So that's my gut on what's going to happen. How long is it going to take? You know, your guess is probably just as good as mine. I've had cases where the jury was out for weeks, um, and we would sit with opposing counsel and be like, what could they possibly be talking about for all this time? We've had cases where the jury comes back rather quickly, and you kind of, you know, from, from a defense lawyer's perspective, it's normally a good thing if the jury goes long. It's normally a bad thing for the defense if the jury comes back quickly, meaning if it comes back quickly, it's normally much 
more probable that the jury is going to convict if they come back early. Now, is that always the case? No, it's statistical. Each case is different. Yes, there have been cases where the jury walks out. We've had one. A jury walked out and within a minute and a half, they were all back. And apparently, while they were walking down the hallway going to the jury deliberation room, one of the jurors had said, does anybody think that this guy is guilty? And they all right there inside of the, basically, of the hallway all agreed that there was no way this person was guilty. They pulled out the form, they selected their four-person real quick, they signed the verdict not guilty and came right back in the courtroom. Now, is that something that happens often? I would suggest to you not, especially when you've got a 13-week, 14 weeks worth of evidence and testimony that you've heard. You would expect the jury to go back there and normally this is what happens. They go back there, they organize themselves, they'll pick a four-person, they will maybe Go have lunch, for example, depending on what time deliberations begin. They'll grab all the evidence and they'll outline all of their notes and they'll sit down and start talking and discussing what they believe each witness testified to and whether or not there's enough to justify a conviction on each and every count. Because remember, the judge is going to instruct the jury that they have to make an independent verdict on each and every count. And those verdicts need not necessarily be the same. For example, the jury can come back guilty on one count for conspiracy. Uh, they can come back guilty on one count for wire fraud and then not guilty on the rest. Totally possible. They can come back not guilty on everything. They can come back guilty on everything. So they can kind of pick and choose based on what they believe the evidence shows. In addition, one thing that I'm going to expect to see in this trial are a number of questions from the jury. This is not uncommon. Normally when the jury deliberates, there'll be discussions. And in the course of those discussions, what'll happen is someone will say, well, what about this? And they'll all look at each other and say, I don't know. And they'll look at their jury instructions and like, heck, that doesn't answer the question. So they may write a question to the judge, give it to the bailiff, at which point the judge will read the question to the lawyers and say, can we answer this question? And if the answer is yes, we can, they collectively will formulate an answer. If the question is something that they cannot answer, either because the evidence does not uh, support something, or it is a part of the evidence that the court has excluded, the judge most of the time will say, we cannot answer your questions, either go based on your recollections or read the jury instructions or sometimes as simple as there's no further evidence for you to consider other than what's been presented and they send the, the answer back to the jury. I expect that we're going to see a, a, a couple of questions at least from this particular jury. So let's see what happens. We're going to be back here on the 16th. We'll figure out what's going on as things happen over the course of the next few days. And let's see what happens on closing arguments and let's see what happens when the jury starts to deliberate. Again, give me some questions. If you have specific questions about how the process works or what we can expect to see, put them down below in the comment section. I'll be happy to answer them for you. Again, if you liked the video, give me a thumbs up. If you've liked the series, please subscribe to our channel and we'll keep you posted as things happen. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.